Hey guys, we're about to jump on with Dr. Ken Brown. I just want to let you know that at the very end of the episode, I am talking about the biggest giveaway that I have ever done. So stick around to the very end. Here we go. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella, and it is my pleasure today to bring to you Dr. Ken Brown. Dr. Brown is a gastroenterologist in Dallas, Texas, and you guys buckle up because he is going to blow your mind. Hey, Dr. Brown, how are you? I am great, Ella. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Now, I want you to tell everybody kind of who you are and what you do, if you would. Sure. So my name is Ken Brown. I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist, and I've been practicing in the Dallas, Texas area for about the last four 14 years or so. Uh, one of the things that I have a big passion about is uh, different disease states in the GI field, such as irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, and IBD, Crohn's and colitis. Because of that, I have been doing clinical research for uh, the last 10 years or so, mostly in the pharmaceutical industry. And because of that, um, I was exposed to a lot of different things that allowed me to see science that had not yet met the mainstream. And through all that, we realized that there were some holes and some of these holes were not being met by the pharmaceutical industry. Because of that, I got really heavy into the nutraceutical space and ultimately developed a product uh, called Atron Teal uh, that we can talk about a little bit later, but it is specifically to help those people with these different problems like bloating and abdominal discomfort. It has been uh, super, super cool to try and help a lot of people who've been suffering for a long time with something that uh, they have struggled with and their doctors maybe have not been on the forefront and just kind of patting them on the heads and say it's in their heads and so on. So. That's uh, my bio is that I have a passion to try and help people that have been struggling for a long time. Yeah, I love this blend that you bring to the table, Dr. Brown. Uh, first of all, you're an MD. You're traditionally medically trained. Obviously, GI was your specialty. Um, but it's so interesting to me that you spent years of research in the pharma industry. And then the net result of that being a botanical solution to treat bloating. Like, I just, I just think you bring such an interesting perspective to the table and the contrast between sort of the pharma world and then what you've developed and what we'll talk more about when we get to talking about Trontil is uh, a very interesting journey indeed. Are you an anomaly in your field or do you find that <laughs> traditional medicine is moving to more toward the integrative side of things? Like what's your, what's your worldview from where you're sitting? Well, so where I'm sitting as a specialist, I do think that I'm a bit of an anomaly because it's been a little bit of a struggle to try and get people to accept, number one, a different disease state, and then number two, an alternative treatment that is not actually sponsored by the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, as I went through medical school, everything was, you know, drugs. And here's the clinical trials for that. Here's this. I went through the evidence-based medicine trial of, well, okay, now it's not just a patriarchal type medicine training. What we need is we need data. And then very quickly, that data uh, could easily be manipulated by really big companies. Mm -hmm. So when I started doing the research, that's when 
we realized that a disease state like irritable bowel is not actually uh, due to stress or not actually in your head. It's due to bacteria growing where it shouldn't. And it was at that time that we realized, okay, if we could figure out the solution to that in a natural way, then maybe this would be the panacea and we can help a whole lot of people. So I feel like I'm an anomaly in a specialty level, but when I go to meetings now and I go to these different conferences like Paleo FX, or if I go to A4M, Integrative Medicine, I'm blown away by the number of MDs showing up mm -hmm. learning functional and integrative medicine. And I love it. And, you know, very frequently, there's not many gastroenterologists running around, uh, but we are seeing a whole lot of people really realizing, hey, there's more to this. There's a whole lot more going on. And maybe we should all try and train each other. And that's what it felt like in a lot of these conferences. I love it. And it gives me hope um, that there is room in the middle here. And we have we have actually quite a few MDs on the show who have, who have come over to the dark side. Dr. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it really does give me hope because obviously the answer isn't in planting flags on different established territories, is it? It's like it's being open to what the real solutions are that can move the needle. Totally. So there's, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of the research that's being driven in pharmaceutical sales obviously is being a driven by a financial standpoint and you have to get FDA approval and all these other things. So there's so many limited ways to try and get the information out there and it's really being dominated by one particular industry. So trying to break through to this and say, look, we got something that's natural here that can help you. Uh, that's been the uphill battle for us is to, you know, and I think it's probably been the uphill battle for your other MDs that have been on the show. It's, it's, we need to have a louder voice is all it comes down to. We need to scope this message in a much bigger way. Ah, uh, enter podcasts. I honestly <laughs> believe that this form of communication is changing the landscape enormously. So I think it's, it's a match made in heaven, in my opinion. Um, I agree. Tell me what you meant when you said that first you have to convince, and I think you're referring to sort of traditional medicine. First, you have to convince that there is a different disease state. What did you mean by that? Well, what I meant by that, so let's go back 10 years ago when I was actually doing research. There was a great doctor, extremely brilliant, out of Cedars-Sinai named Mark Pimentel. And he was the first guy to realize that irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS, which we've all considered a functional problem, and to be qualified as IBS, all you have to have is pain, change in bowel habits, lasting more than three months. Essentially, we call that like a trash can diagnosis, mm -hmm. meaning if, if I can't figure it out, you're just going to be labeled as IBS. And he realized that through animal models, if you put different animals through different situations, like an extremely stressful situation, or if you put them, gave them antibiotics, or if they had an infection, most importantly, then an area of your small intestine actually stopped moving for a moment and it could start growing bacteria. And that bacteria is called bacterial overgrowth. Then whenever you eat, the bacteria will break down the food before you can and create a lot of bloating and discomfort. And then all these symptoms that we now call irritable bowel syndrome. That initial concept is exactly where we are with a paradigm shift 30 years ago when we thought that ulcers were caused because you were stressed or you had a bad job or a tough marriage. And then an Australian doctor figured out that no, it's due to bacteria, it's due to H. pylori. This is that same paradigm shift that's going on right now. So uh, a lot of doctors are slow to realize, oh, I'm not just gonna put people with IBS on an antidepressant. I'm gonna try and 
manipulate their microbiome. Not that bacteria are good or bad. We know that we need bacteria in our bodies. We just need them in the right area. When they start growing in the wrong area called bacterial overgrowth, that's when a lot of these symptoms can actually start taking place. And so there's still a lot of doctors out there that um, are slow in the uptake that IBS could be due to bacteria growing where it shouldn't. Let's talk about this because I've been very candid with my audience that, you know, I generally try to stay in shape, but bloating is a chronic element in my life. And whenever I mention it, I get 35,412 emails saying, <laughs> me too, me too, me too. And so, so many of us are actually finding, okay, we, we know, especially my people, we know now that what we eat matters enormously. We know that what I eat might be different than what you eat. Dr. Brown, and we might have a different experience. And so we actually have to sort of be our own detective. We know that. We know that some foods are probably more likely to cause bloating in most people than others. And we also know what we're finding is many of us, the cleaner we eat, the more severe bloating we have, or like the more sensitive we are. I, I have no idea what that's about. Dr. Brown, maybe you can speak <laughs> to that. I'll come right back to that. And the other thing is um, people feel like they're doing their very best and they can't beat the bloat. So what I thought would be useful is to first start with like what it really is in, in GI terms, in, in scientific terms, what is bloating? What's the definition of bloating? So by far the most common issue I see is bloating and slash irritable bowel syndrome. When you bloat, our intestines do not actually have pain receptors. They have stretch receptors. So in other words, I can take a biopsy or, or poke it or stick a needle in your intestines, you won't feel it. But when they fill up and stretch, it becomes extremely painful. That's what is perceived as pain. So when you bloat, that creates all these other symptoms. Now the problem is the pitfalls of current therapy are that all the pharmaceutical options really just kind of focus on the colon and it's some form of laxative. And so most things out there are just trying to get you to move your bowels. And so when we discuss what is a healthy intestine, what is a gut, uh, a lot of times people ask, are you having a bowel movement? Yes, okay, well then you're working. Well, no, mm -hmm. but I'm still bloated. I feel like I have a bowling ball in my belly right now. I wish that I could pass some gas and get this out and do that. So bloating by definition, or at least the way that I discuss it with my patients, um, the typical person that has bloating due to intestinal issues, frequently whenever we discuss bloating, it kind of gets masked with some water retention, which is a totally different aspect. Right. But if you eat, and specifically when you eat carbs, and the reason why is because bacteria love carbs, um, or undigestible fibers, and that gets back to the, the cleaner I eat, the more bloated I get. In mm -hmm. other words, you're going to eat that big kale salad or <laughs> yeah. you know something like that. You're trying to really step it up, and then you feel worse. If you have bacteria growing where it shouldn't, then they just you just gave them a buffet, and they love it. And they start eating it and start breaking it down, and then that creates more bloating. So you have all these poor people out there that are trying their best they say, okay, well, I'm feeling miserable. I'm going to change up my diet. I'm going to start taking probiotics, and the probiotics actually made it a little bit worse. That doesn't make any sense. Well, it does a little bit if you realize that if you have bacteria growing where it shouldn't. So let's so let's talk about that SIBO or the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and what I'm where it shouldn't. So the one thing that people don't realize is we know that we have a microbiome in our bodies. We've been talking about this for a long time. The reality is, is that microbiome should just be living in your colon. 
basically from the stomach all the way down to the almost to the colon, your body works very hard to keep that area sterile. It does that through gastric acid, through pancreatic enzymes, through a lot of different things. One of the quotes I heard recently was uh, uh, I went to a lecture with Dr. David Perlmutter. He wrote the Grain Brain book and uh, excellent speaker if you ever get a chance to see him. Um, he said something really funny. He goes, you know, we sit there and, you know, uh, I have pregnant patients and I say, well, you're eating for two and, you know, everybody loves that. He goes, but the reality is you should be eating for a hundred trillion. You have a hundred trillion bacteria in your colon that you should be given the right ingredients so that they can help you overall. So when something happens and bacteria starts to grow where it shouldn't, which is the small intestine right past the stomach, that's where all the problems come up. We just need to get that bacteria to go back to where it should be, which is the colon, where it then becomes part of our normal um, genome. It's a genome within a genome where they help us if we help them. So help me understand this. Is it the trapped bacteria in the upper GI tract that is feeding off of starches and, 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 what, and whatever it is feeding off of, and it's producing gas? What, what is it producing? Is it producing methane, producing hydrogen? Absolutely great question. So basically think of it like this. Um, what happens is, is that something shocks the intestines. It could be an infection. It could be antibiotics. It could be your diet. It could be a lot of different things, but something changes the motility of the intestines. Once that changes, we just went from a very clear stream to a sewer pipe and then bacteria starts to grow. Now that bacteria will grow in an area of your intestines called the duodenum, which is just past the stomach. When it starts growing there, when you eat, the bacteria will break it down and they'll start to produce hydrogen, which is one of the gases that starts creating bloating. And then if it's an appropriate environment, another type of bacteria that's actually in a different kingdom known as an archaeobacter comes in because it uses the hydrogen and it produces methane with that. Once you start producing methane, the methane works like a local paralytic, or in other words, it slows everything down. And then what does that mean? You've just slowed it down. You've allowed more bacteria to grow that produces more methane, which now becomes a little methane factory. And that methane slows everything down and then only 20% gets absorbed. The rest goes to the colon. And now we have a model to explain irritable bowel with constipation. You bloat and you're constipated because bacteria are producing methane. The bacteria can also produce hydrogen sulfide depending on the type of bacteria that's overgrowing. And then that causes diarrhea. So it's a beautiful example where we used to say IBS is diarrhea or constipation. As a physician, I was always confused. I'm like, those are opposing symptoms and we're calling it the same thing. Does anybody else think this is weird? And now we have a reason. Now we say, oh, you're a methane producer. You're a hydrogen sulfide producer. Got it. So the type, that's a great question. The type of gas being produced really affects the type of symptoms that are going on. Okay. This is so interesting. So the upper GI tract is supposed to be like almost sterile. Is that right? Relatively sterile. The body works very hard to keep it sterile. Until we have this acute event, like an illness or long-term trauma, like maybe you took antibiotics your whole life. Or my understanding is that even just like chronic stressful states can cause this. And then of course, certain foods, like if you keep ingesting a certain type of food, is this why food sensitivities and food allergies 
are getting so much discussion now is because they're also triggers for this type of chain of events? It becomes chicken and egg. So I have all my patients come in and they all have a food intolerance. And as it turns out, once we correct the bacterial imbalance, they can start tolerating some of these foods that they felt that they couldn't. So did eating the wrong type of food, eating, you know, highly processed, eating um, gluten that'll produce zonulin if you're sensitive to it, did that affect it? Or did the bacteria make it so that you could no longer tolerate those kind of foods? So it's chicken and the egg. Most of what I see is the bacteria comes first, food intolerances come later. What we do know is that anything that affects the motility of the intestines. So, um, and one of the examples that's recently been discovered is that if you have an infection, Salmonella, Campylobacter, basically you go down to Mexico and you get Montezuma's Revenge, and in 20% of the people that get that, the body actually produces an antibody trying to get rid of the bacteria, and it happens to be very similar to a protein on the cells that keep the intestines moving. So it's almost, think of it like um, power lines. You've got power line A to B and a current goes across. When the body fights the infection, it actually shuts off the power between A and B. And that little area then becomes the area that bacteria can start growing. So we're seeing all these veterans coming back um, from, you know, wherever they're deployed to. If they got sick someplace else, 20% of these people are coming back and they've got chronic irritable bowel. And really what they have is a chronic dysmotility or a chronic issue where bacteria is growing where it shouldn't. Okay. So this was so insightful. First of all, you're saying that the different type of gas is either going to react in a loose stool, like diarrhea situation, or if you're producing a different type of gas, it's going to result in a slowing of motility and constipation. And the, it's actually, I would think, pretty important as to which one is actually happening. <laughs> it really is. And it's funny because I think that probably some of your listeners can equate to this. I have a lot of patients that will come in and they'll say, listen, I was perfectly fine. Three years ago, something happened. And I can usually get a story out of it. I went through a divorce. I got antibiotics. I traveled someplace and I got real sick. And then they say, everything just changed and I've not been right since. And then when they tell me, you know, I'm eating less, I'm bloated all the time. And here's what's really embarrassing. I'm gaining weight. I don't get it. And it all plays into it because now we're going to talk into the next level, which is overall inflammation. When you're inflamed and you have, um, I think you had um, Dr. Zach Bush on your show at one yes, time. Yes. And he's a real big leaky gut doctor. And I love where he's. He's very, very forward thinking on that. One of the causes of leaky gut is bacterial overgrowth. And so now we've got this issue where your body's fighting this low level infection. You have methane slowing everything down. So every bite you eat, you absorb more calories per bite because it spends more time in the small intestine and your body's kind of reserving itself to fight this low level infection. So I have all these poor patients that are eating less, gaining weight and not feeling good at all. And it all comes down to that. It's not in your head. It's not that you're cheating. It's not you're waking up at night eating Snickers and your spouse doesn't realize that or whatever. It's that you have bacteria growing and it's the overall inflammatory process that's causing everything. 
and we need to break that cycle. So let me see if I can get this right. So when the situation that we've described already is affecting your your small intestine, and your upper GI tract, then that is why it can't effectively absorb nutrients from the food that you're ingesting and kind of move it along into the colon. Are you saying, and I want to connect the dots and I'm going to screw it up. So you, you correct okay. me. <laughs> but once we've got it in this inflamed state that we've described, because first of all, it has bacteria in there that shouldn't be in there. Uh, it sort of crept up if you will, and then went to town reproducing. <laughs> exactly. I should teach medical school classes. I think that's what we're <laughs> establishing right now. Okay. So bacteria is having a party where it shouldn't. Okay. And then because it's inflamed, the upper GI tract can't absorb the nutrients because basically like we broke it, like it just, it can't do its job. And so it's holding on to this food longer. You're bloating, you got gas going on in there and you're not getting the nutrients that you need, but you are possibly getting more calories from the food that you need and your whole system has slowed down and this is a this is a pretty bleak picture am i connecting well, kind of kind right? of okay let me just reword it like this so basically the bacteria get at it first so it, when the bacteria get to it first they can break it down and there are cases when you have bacterial overgrowth where you can have b12 deficiency you can have iron deficiency um, a lot of different nutrient deficiencies if it gets severe enough most of the time, the symptoms, the bloating and such is the key reason why I'm actually treating people. You can still absorb the nutrients, but the back, you, you're given the bacteria first crack at it. So they get mm. first shot at okay. it and then you get, you get what's left over, so to speak. Um, but obviously it's, that's a very simplistic approach to it. What happens is the, the more, the more important thing is that in that area, you have a lot of inflammation. And when you have that kind of inflammation, it creates that leaky gut situation. So that bacterial overgrowth is part of the reason why you have this inflammatory response. So you can absorb your food further downstream, the bacteria get first crack at it, but uh, you're miserable as it goes on. So. Okay, I have one more question in this area. Should we stop eating foods that are determined to be inflammatory, get sorted out, and then go back to trying to eat those foods? And let me let me add one more layer to that. So for example, if I do an IgG food sensitivity test, or I just pay attention and I see you know, somebody might have bread and immediately notice that they blow up or have yogurt and notice that they blow up. Common sense would lead me to believe, Dr. Brown, that we should reduce the intake of foods that are known to be inflammatory and let things settle down, treat it, and then hopefully introduce them back in. What's your take on that? Or is that, am I oversimplifying? No. And in fact, it's a very, it's a very controversial topic right now in my field. Um, the other way that bacterial overgrowth is treated, especially if it's, um, if it is diarrhea producing is there's a drug called Zyfaxin, which was approved for this. And you may see commercials on that. They took an ad out in the Super Bowl, and it just drives me nuts because my patients can't afford it, but they're taking ads on the Super Bowl. But it's the totally separate discussion on that. Um, very, very, very good drug that uh, is an antibiotic, and it was shown in clinical trials to be about 10% superior to placebo. Now, 10%? 10%. Yeah. So the, that's what got them FDA approved for, um, IBS with diarrhea. So, uh, so that being said, the reason why I'm saying it's controversial is because initially we always felt that if you have bacterial overgrowth, you should starve the bacteria. So that's where these different diets have come up, which are called like FODMAP or the SCD diet, paleo, uh, 
ketogenic diet, all these different diets, they all kind of do the same thing. They really cut back in the amount of carbs that you're feeding these bacteria. So a lot of people do feel better. The problem is, is that they almost always go back to where they were because all you're doing is you're allowing the bacteria to kind of go dormant for a bit. You can only starve them for so long. They're very, very resilient. So when we talk about should you or should you not eat the foods that are causing the symptoms, if you're taking something that is an antibiotic, you want the bacteria very active mm. because what they do is the, the antibiotic works by being absorbed into the bacteria and it shuts down this enzymatic process that allows the bacteria to live. That's how our antibiotic, that's how our modern day antibiotics work. Now, that being said, one of the reasons why we developed Atrantil is because we realized that if you bloat and have constipation, those Archaeobacter that I brought up or that kingdom of type of bacteria that produces methane, they don't actually respond to modern day antibiotics because they're completely different. So when I was working with some of the doctors out there, that's where we started to think about how do we do this naturally because these methane producers don't respond to typical antibiotics. A quick side note, this is actually the aha moment that took place eight or nine years ago. Um, my research manager, uh, her name is Brandy. She came from a very unusual background. She went to law school and then got her master's in political science and at one point was a policy writer for a senator in Iowa. And then um, her, her fiance and her broke up and so she just drove down to Dallas and I ended up hiring her and she ended up running my, my research. One day I'm writing on my dry erase board that methane, I'm like, man, we gotta, if we could figure this out. And she went, aha. When I was writing policy for that senator in Iowa, they were trying to mandate that the farmers put food products for the cattle to decrease the amount of methane production due to the greenhouse effect. So we were privy to all this information that somebody had already done all the legwork for us. That's when we went, oh my gosh, the answer is right here. We can do this. We can put these ingredients together and decrease the methane production and allow people to heal on their own. The research that was being done to reduce methane output from, say, cattle farming, for example, that is what sort of created the epiphany for you to be like, wait, <laughs> it's exactly. I it. can help the human population that is overproducing methane. Well, they were giving food to cattle and we realized that we're already eating these ingredients. So we ended up doing so what it is, is that the three ingredients, the conquer tree, the embalsame and the cabracho wait, work what? together. <laughs> <laughs> so wait say those three ingredients again okay so atrantil is composed of conquer tree and balsame which is essentially peppermint leaf we're not okay. doing oil we want the polyphenols here you're going to hear a recurring word here polyphenols and the cabracho um which cabracho is a thing that nobody's ever heard of before but that was what we have in a lot of our food products it's a tannin it's a elegatannin it's a type of molecule that is just really gorgeous it happens to be from the bark of a really old tree that has a natural defense against fungus and archaeobacter so nature has a way of protecting us and it's a polyphenol so when you when we look at the different molecules that are in this, it's the same molecules that you're going to find in the Mediterranean diet. So we see this uh, paradox uh, over there. I just came back from Spain. I was there for th uh, three weeks. I just came back the day before yesterday. And it was just shocking to see that people eat what they eat and they tend to smoke and drink quite a bit and they outlive us. They don't have the diabetes that we have. They don't have the obesity problem. 
They don't have the dimension, all these other things. And we're learning that it's probably coming down to these molecules uh, called polyphenols that really work to feed our good bacteria. And they probably get rid of some of the bacteria that shouldn't be there. So... Okay, you have a great page on your website that actually shares the three ingredients, what they are and kind of how they work. So I'll link to that in the show notes, Dr. Brown, so people can see that. Yes, yeah, so I'll get back to the controversial point here. That's it, this is all based off a small study where they looked and they were giving people guar gum, which is essentially a prebiotic, so it's a hard to digest. And they found that they were having better results with Zyfaxin. And then that's when the whole idea came up, oh, maybe we should not starve these bacteria maybe while we treat them with antibiotics and what's controversial is right now i'm having better results if they people take atrantil and they modify their diet a little bit and it doesn't have to be so extreme i at least try and get people to go gluten-free at least for a little bit while they're on treatment because our product works very differently it works in a natural way that doesn't have to be absorbed into the bacteria it actually affects the cell wall and shuts off the enzymatic production of the methane. So what I meant by controversial is you'll find people that will say, oh, well, my doctor told me to eat lots of starches while I'm taking Zyfaxin, and maybe you don't have to. You know, we did two clinical trials where we're showing over, you know, 88% response rate, one randomized and one uh, a trial. Both of them got published in peer-reviewed journals. and we're matching that success rate that we published after being out for about a year and a half now. And we've had quite a few people take it and we realize that we're having pretty good results. If you just modify your diet and take this over 80% of the time, you're going to get markedly better. Now the question is that 20%, what are we, where, where are we with that? That's the, that's my next stage of research. Okay, so let's break that down. So you're saying that when you're taking Atrantil that you should reduce gluten, is that because, or actually eliminate gluten, I think, because it's so hard on the gut? So my 30 second summary is when you uh, look at some of these really leading researchers of this, uh, one of them being Alessio Fasano, he's kind of the celiac guru, um, and I've heard him lecture quite a few times. He's got some beautiful research that gluten Uh, When your body's exposed to gluten, especially the gluten that we have here in the United States, uh, because it's been modified quite a bit, the the amount of gluten is quite a bit more. Your body reacts to it, and it'll actually produce a molecule called zonulin. Mm -hmm. And it's the zonulin that leads to the gut permeability or leaky gut, and then that's the start of everything. So personally, I feel better. I myself am gluten intolerant. Now, I can eat gluten as long as I take Atrantil with it. So we know that there's something going on with how it kind of protects from gluten on that level. I've got a lot of celiac patients that uh, celiac is the autoimmune version of gluten sensitivity, meaning that if you eat gluten, you actually have an autoimmune attack on your own intestines. That's what celiac disease is. So we've learned a lot about through that, um, uh, looking at what happens to celiac patients and how we can help fix them. One of the ways is most of those people end up developing bacterial overgrowth or they had bacterial overgrowth that caused the intestinal permeability that led to the celiac. So any of these doctors that you've had on that actually embrace the whole leaky gut phenomenon, it's this big Venn diagram that's kind of overlapping in a bunch of different ways. And we're all going, oh, it all comes down to inflammation in the gut. Health begins and ends in the gut. So you're saying that if you eat and bloat and you're taking Atrantil consistently, then over 80% of the people do better according to your clinical trials or your, or your experience thereafter or both? 
Yeah, both. So in our in our clinical trials, we had you know well over 88% response rate. We did a randomized trial, and then what I did is I treated people that had failed everything, every pharmaceutical agent, everything that was available, including antibiotics, not just Zyfaxin, Zyfaxin plus neomycin and a lot of different herbal antibiotics. And we had very, very similar results in those people as well. The kicker is it has to be the right person. So if you eat and you blow up, I can say with over 80% confidence, I think I can help you. And that's what I tell my patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, but they're, that's all I get now are people that really are the most extreme version of everything. So I see a lot of people and let's just say that it's 80%. It's actually a little bit more than that, but in the right person, I can really nail it down. We're finding a lot of unusual things now. So this is what's really exciting about the field is instead of just saying, oh, you have irritable bowel, deal with it, no step further. Now we're saying, oh, you were told you have irritable bowel, and now I'm saying that you have bacterial overgrowth, and of the bacterial overgrowth, you didn't get better. Now let's dig deeper. I'm not going to go back and pat you on the head and say, oh, it looks like it was irritable bowel. And by digging deeper, we're finding all kinds of stuff. We're finding really unusual things, you know, latent Crohn's disease, um, celiac disease that uh, was very um, latent at the time and got missed. And I'm finding a lot of unusual strictures. And it's just, it's fun to sit there and say, oh, this thing that we just lumped together now becomes this really unusual, if you're not getting better on something on this regimen that we have, then I'm going to look deeper. And, you know, I've found several cancers. I found strictures. We're finding, it's really an exciting time to sit there and say, no, in my mind, irritable bowel doesn't exist. I just haven't thought hard enough yet. Yeah, right. Like there are just so many more layers than Yes, than that. exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I tell everybody, I said, you know, I can really help four out of five people. I wanted to, I, I almost joked that we're a four-star product. I'm not trying to, <laughs> I don't want to sell snake oil here. I really want people to get better. I want the right person to take it and, the, and to get better. And to do that, we do know that it's dose dependent. We do know that it is a moving target. Um, we were talking a little bit briefly before uh, we went on the air that, you know, I've, I've had some patients that... Um, didn't respond to the two capsules three times a day at 10 days. But then all of a sudden, by about day 20, they really start turning the corner. And then we start wondering, okay, is that because your bacteria is more resistant? Is it because you had a higher bacterial load? I had a very exciting case in which a patient came to me and he'd been seen by a bunch of other doctors and he brought his breath test in. And it was really interesting that his methane peaked very early. And as it turned out, his bacteria was growing so high up in the duodenum that everything he had taken really didn't even dissolve yet. So we figured out that if we opened up the capsules and he mixed it with something, then he ended up having a response then. Hmm. So, you know, it's a total moving target. And it's really exciting that there's a lot of doctors that are out there really trying to piece it together and being very open and sharing everything. The most exciting thing is that you have doctors like Perlmutter and Fasano and Chris Kresser and these guys that have linked all this stuff back to the leaky gut mm-hmm. and back to the fact that the leaky gut is causing all the problems. I had, um, I mean, I, I obviously I'm extremely passionate about this and I, I don't want to get too off topic, but when I just sit there and listen to a lecture where you have, um, in Florida, Dr. Fasano said that the, this is a guy who's a celiac expert. So every time I've heard him talk, it was always about celiac and his whole lecture was about autism. He said, we have an epidemic going on. Are we just sticking our heads in the sand and not realizing that we went from like one in 8,000 in 1980 to like one in 88 now? And his deal is it comes down to leaky gut. And then Dr. Perlmutter gives this whole lecture on his, his new book is all about dementia and how dementia is related to a 
uh, brain-derived nootrotropic factor, BDNF. I don't want to geek out too much on that. But as it turns out, when your gut is healthy, you have more BDNF protects your brain. So here I have one expert saying, oh, this can really affect kids. I have this other expert saying, oh, this really affects our older generation. And I'm in the middle going, it's all the same thing. We have to fix this area. This gives me hope. I want to be one of your guinea pigs. And so let's do this. Let's talk to people about just pure logistics. And one of the things that I checked on before we talked was just that people can get this no matter where they are, because I know you have a method for buying online for the US, you have Canadian orders, and then you have an option for international orders as well. So that's fantastic. But if somebody is like, I need to attack this beast, (laughs) let's just say that someone is named Ella, just as an example, and maybe she's, you know, maybe she exercises, but she still looks four months pregnant every time she eats a meal, just hypothetically, anecdotally speaking. If someone's going to try this, Dr. Brown, you're saying two capsules three times a day? Correct. So we do know that dose is really relevant. So two capsules three times a day, give it a full 20 days to go. We actually changed our initial bottle, um, had fewer capsules, and now we realize that we really want to help people. And a lot of people needed longer than the 10 days or the 14 days that we did in the trial. So now we have 90 capsules. We put 50% more in. So two capsules three times a day. Traditionally, I seem to get a better response if people do it with food. After that, the cool thing is that these molecules are those polyphenols that I was talking about. Well, those polyphenols, they go to your colon, and that's where your bacteria break them down for the things that your body actually needs. An example of this, a recent study just came out where when I was talking about how the cabaracho is a tannin, uh, a recent study just showed that if you take these type of tannins, these elegotannins, your own bacteria will break it down into something called urolithins. Now, urolithins actually help your mitochondria get rid of bad mitochondria, which is called metophagy. I, I love just getting these, these really geeked out research articles where somebody says, oh, this. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that makes total sense. The Mediterranean diet is an anti-aging diet. We age because our powerhouses, these mitochondria in the cells, get damaged. And that doesn't allow our bodies to heal itself. And that's actually how we end up aging. And oh my gosh, these molecules help your bacteria produce the thing that helps yourself. So really interesting. Well, I'm going to try this for 30 days and then sort of report back. That sounds awesome. Okay. Yeah, we'll go ahead and send you some. Okay, do not kill me, Dr. Brown. This is not appropriate. I am breaking all the laws of etiquette, but can we give some away? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think just to can just to we? make sure your listeners are actually listening, maybe a little quiz and whoever gets the quiz right, three questions gets a box. <laughs> I love it. Okay, because I'm sitting here and everyone's like, I mean, do you know how many of us listening are struggling with this issue? And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I want to try this. And this is not a commercial. I'm not getting paid to talk about this, just in case anyone's wondering about that. But as people are listening, they're like, well, I want to try it. I'll come up with a contest. So stick around after the show and I'll put something in. But can we give some away? You are the best. So one of the things, Ella, is that um, I'm smart enough to know that I'm stupid. So when we started the company, I made sure that I hired a CEO and director of uh, operations and all that. Yeah, I'm going to let them figure out what that uh, what kind of logistics that is. But I'm going to say, yes, we're going to do that. Absolutely. 
Oh my God, I broke all the rules. I'm not supposed to surprise you with that on the air. Okay, you are the best. That is fantastic. I appreciate your time so much. I wonder if after I try this for a month, if I can get you back on for a little short lightning round of Q&A and share our experience with everybody. Yeah, totally. And I think, it, yeah, I mean, hopefully it works for you. Um, you know, and if it doesn't, we can actually go kind of live and talk about the questions that I would ask my patients about all that kind of stuff. Okay, that's so cool. So it's a win-win in the way it's I look a at it. And if we give some away, then we can get, we can hear how those people did too. This is fun. Okay. Absolutely. I should probably tell everyone in the world right now, I'm not a doctor. Dr. Brown is a doctor, but he's not your doctor. So at the end of the day, we're not dispensing medicine. <laughs> medical advice. We're talking about experiences and his product and the results that he is seeing in his clinic, but I'm not your doctor. So I just like to be super clear about that. And it, not that anyone's confusing me for their health practitioner, but I like <laughs> Ella, to be super clear. for what clear. it's worth, this has been really fun. And although I may not be your listeners' doctors, I do feel like you're your doctor right now. Everybody listening. I love I'm, this. I'm unofficially your doctor. <laughs> unofficially, don't sue me. Okay. So, <laughs> all right, Dr. Brown, you have been an absolute gem. I appreciate you so much. And thanks for being such a good sport. Uh, we're going to try it. And uh, stick around, guys, for the contest, which I'm making up as we speak. And we'll share with you <laughs> after the show. <laughs> thank you so much, Ella. Dr. Brown, thank you. I appreciate you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Hey, don't go anywhere. It's me. I came back on with terrible sound quality. Sorry, I'm recording this on the fly. But I just want to give you the details of the giveaway. In between me recording this with Dr. Ken a few days ago and being able to push it live, I have received a case of Achantil. <laughs> He made really good on his promise really fast. So guess what? I'm not giving away a few bottles. I'm giving away 10 bottles to 10 listeners for free. And I'm going to ship them to you, which means you can be anywhere in the world and I will ship you your 30 to 45 days supply. That's how many are in one bottle. And it's easy. All I want you to do is share the love. Every time you share the love, you're entered into the contest and then the drawing will actually be random and I'll do that on August 6th and announce the winner no later than August 7th, okay? Or the winners, I should say. So here's the deal. Go to the show notes, hit view full show description on the show, and it'll flip the podcast art around to all of the show notes. The links are live. You can just press a button on your phone and go straight to the show notes where the details of the contest are, or you can go to onairwithella.com, and this is episode 122, and you can get the details there. Or you can just listen to the following because it's so, so easy. All it is is share any On Air with Ella episode, your favorite. If you want to tell people why it's your favorite, that's outstanding and maybe useful for them. It can be this show. It can be five shows. Every time you share a show over the course of the next month, I will be adding another entry. I'll be putting your name in the hat once for every time you share the show. If you leave a review in iTunes, put in a hashtag so that I know that it's related to this. Just put hashtag start where you are in your iTunes review and I will uh, pick up on that as well and treat it as an entry. Okay. So if you've already left an iTunes review, you're amazing. Just share the show. It's the same thing. Are you getting the idea here? <laughs> it's my hope and intent that the sharing of the show will actually help more people, obviously draw more people into our community and into this, this movement that we're creating toward living better and starting where we are and using what we have and doing what we can, whether it's nutrition or fitness or mindset, all of it. I figure 
If you guys share the love with people you know and who know and trust you, and I can reward at least 10 of you for doing that, that sounds like a win-win to me. So every time you leave an iTunes review and hashtag start where you are, I'll know that's an entry. And if you share the show on Facebook, tag me. If you share the show on Instagram, tag me. It's that easy. Those are the only two platforms I really spend any time on. So it's just Facebook, Instagram, or your email, or your blog, whatever, whatever, whatever. Every time you do so, draw it to my attention by tagging me and I will add an entry. 10 winners, you guys. I would love to cover at least four countries. So let me hear from you no matter where in the world you are. All right, good luck. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.